You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kipolevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Okay. So the Al-Sheikh Papashis Tetzaveh is discussing the clothing of the Kohen Gadol. And he focuses in on one specific point, which is that the Kohen Gadol, who wore first the, uh, um, the pants and the white shirt, then on top of that, he had the me'il, which was his blue shirt. And on top of the me'il was this combination, ephod choshen. The ephod choshen, fascinating um, um, system for how they went together. But basically the ephod was, as Rashi describes, sort of like an apron worn backwards. And up the, from, the bottom, from the top of it on the back came up these two straps... And the two straps ended at the shoulders. And on the shoulders were these two Avnei Shoham, the two onyx stones, which stood, up, stood on the shoulders of the Kohen Gadol. And on it was written the names of the twelve tribes, six on one and six on the other. And then a string came from it, while at the same time, from the belt itself, which came around the front, a string, or really a, a chain, came out from that as well, and then the chains, the two chains coming down from the top, and the two chains coming up from the bottom would meet in the choshen amishpat, in the uh, choshen that the kohen wore, which was really the um, most the most prominent article that the kohen gadol wore. You're talking about the of the twelve. Uh, right, right. So that was the choshen, but the the ephod was sort of the the back to the choshen except they, they, they meet, coming from these chains, and what he's going to focus in on is what's these two stones on the shoulders of the Kohen? Like we already have, we're going to have the 12 tribes um, in the uh, 12 stones in the Choshen, and that's on the heart of Aaron Kohen. So what's the point of having those same 12 names written into two stones on his shoulders? So, so the Alshech is going to have a whole new take on the purpose of these two stones. So if you look on page Reish Tzadi Dalad, in the bottom right, You shall take the two onyx stones. Amar Od, the Torah is saying like this, When you enter into the holy place, in this um, adornment, this holy adornment, which is above all the clothes, you'll come in that the Kohen Gadol is coming in with the merit of the two luchos. And what he's about to describe to us is how these two stones are a version of the luchos that Moshe brings down from the mountain. And it's in the merit of the Torah and the Jewish people being Mechabal the Torah, specifically the luchos that Moshe brings down from the mountain, that Aaron is able to enter into the Holy of Holies. The, se- the second luchos or the first? The second. You should take the two Avnei Shoham, which are onyx stones, but they're called Shoham. But Hashem like, put them there for them. Like, didn't he bring, that, did he bring that down? 
It wasn't what the princes brought. And this was separate, and they were found. Well, no, the, the princes brought it, but there was sent down in the princes to their man. Yeah. yeah. By the way, is so, Onyx the black? Yeah. Black, like a black stuff? Yeah. That's a, right. shoham. He says, Luma shte luchas avanim Moshe. It's the two sto- tablet stones, as the doctor points out, specifically the ones Moshe brings down. V'zeu avne shoham. Shaosius Shoham em Osius Moshe. The word for Shoham and the word for Moshe is the same letters, as if to say the, sh- the two stones that Moshe brought down. Mm. And the Karangadal is wearing representations of them on his shoulders. Behem Luchos Shneos, we better be wearing only the second set of Luchos. There wouldn't be much merit for the Jewish people if, we, he was, if the Aaron HaKohen was to wear the first Luchos. Especially since Aaron is the Kohen Gadol and Aaron is the one who helps build the Egel, as we know that the Kohen Gadol has to go in Yom Kippur only in white clothes because the gold is the, uh, uh, would prosecute against them because he was the one who made the Egel. So we don't want to go in with the first Luchos, we want to go in with the second Luchos. And these stones specifically had the words on them engraved. Just like the Luchos had everything ingrained. Who ingrained them? The second engraved. The second Luchos were engraved by Moshe. Right, but the stones... Uh, uh, whoever made them. He did it with the Shemir. Yeah. Well, yeah. Shemos B'nai Yisrael. The names of the Jewish people. Lirmos to allude. Shem ain Yisrael ain Torah. If there's no Jewish people, then there's no Torah. And here, this makes this pshat from the Alshech such an incredible pshat. We talk about the idea... In the Zohar, it's stated many times that Yisrael arise of a chadu. Now, the Jewish people, the Torah, and Hashem are one. So we have sometimes where we have to we have to recognize parallels between them. So, uh, you know, in, in terms of let's say um, you know all all of Matan Torah. Matan Torah is the Jewish people and Hashem and the Torah coming together. But there's also parallels between them. Meaning that the Torah describes what happens to the Jewish people because the Torah and the Jewish people are one. So our story, our history, is itself part of what makes, the, uh, makes up the Torah. And the Torah is the wisdom of Hashem so that it all f- becomes one... Um, um, three parallel paths, all really layers on top of each other, all going in the same direction. So he's saying, what you can do is, you can take the entire Torah, and you can sum it up as the wisdom of Hashem. Or you can take the entire Torah and sum it up as the essence of the Jewish people. So you know what the shortest way to recite the entire Torah from Bereshis to Le'enei Kal Yisrael, the shortest way to do it is like this. Ruven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zavulan, etc., etc. That is the entire Torah, because the Jewish people and Hashem are one. 
and the Jewish people and the Torah are one, and Hashem and the Torah are one. And we don't just mean one as in they belong to each other and they're exclusive and not for anyone else, but they're one essentially because our souls emanate from Hashem and the Torah emanates from the wisdom of Hashem. And uh, the souls that emanate from the wisdom of Hashem are related to the, from the, from Hashem, are related to the wisdom of Hashem. So we're just different layers, but we're essentially the same thing. Can't you say that about all of creation? We're all Hashem. It's all Hashem. It, yeah. special for us? No, it, 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 it isn't all Hashem. Why do you say it's all Hashem? The, the coffee is not Hashem. So then what do we mean? Do we mean that the Jewish people are Hashem on a certain level? Yeah, collectively. And that's the difference. How do you integrate with that the concept that large portions of the Jewish people over the years have been lost, starting with the classic ten tribes, and but other Jews have been lost? Well, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the, whether the is the question. Um, how, how did it happen, or how does it fit with this pshat? How does it fit with this pshat? Because we've lost Torah as well. So eventually we'll get it all back. What Torah have we lost? Uh, so much of it. Uh, what we have is, uh, in terms of understanding and depth and all of that, um, you know, the, when, when Mashiach will come, and he will teach us Torah, it will feel like we never learned Torah before. Especially since all came down to Rabbi Kiva and then went back out, that funnel had to have missed. Well, a lot, a lot was lost, but it, really in terms of depth, much more than in terms of breadth. And so, but, but this incredible shot from the Alshech, that it's a different version of the Torah. So it's interesting, because Moshe Rabbeinu is the channel to bring down the Torah in the wisdom form, and we know Aaron HaKohen is the great unifier amongst the Jewish people, so his version, in other words, the Aaron version of the two luchos is two onyx stones, which are Hashoham, which is the letters of Moshe, but in it, instead of being written about all the laws and all the regulations, in it is written all our names. So it would have been better to put Moshe and Aaron on the stones, and that way you've got both the, the actual... Well, Aaron is wearing the stones. Right. And Moshe is the name of the stone, so he's the black of the stone. He's the Shoham, which is Moshe. <laughs> and in Moshe is engraved... But on the effort, we also add over Mitzvah Yaakov, so That's the Chosha. That's the Chosha. That's a whole different Chosha. story, right. Ken. Ken. Better. Now everybody knows that this expression that we say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad we say this at least uh, twice a day but we end up saying it many more times in different parts of uh, in different parts of davening but we're Torah obligated to say Shema Yisrael the first time that it appears in writing is in Parshas Ve'ezchanan after uh, at the after Moshe describes the giving of the second luchos, Moshe then goes on and tells us Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. But we know that's actually he, Moshe was not the author of this statement. But our sages teach us that Yaakov Avinu gathered his sons all around him as he was leaving the world, <coughs> and he says he comes up. Um, gather together. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you at the end of days. And he was going to reveal to them exactly what was laid out for their future. 
but the Jewish people um, don't get to have it so easy to know exactly what, when we're going to be redeemed. And so it was taken from him. And he no longer had this knowledge of the end of times. So Yaakov became afraid, and he said, perhaps one of you is not holy as I assumed you were. Perhaps this filtration system of Yishmael and Esau has not been completed yet. To which the sons of Yaakov say, Shema Yisrael. Listen, Yisrael. This is in prophecy they're speaking. That's how they speak their father's name. Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And Yaakov, of course, responds with Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuso. Now Moshe, when he records this expression, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, in Parshas Ve'eschanan, does not put in Baruch Shem. And we're kind of stuck. Do we do it like Yaakov did it, which is the response of Baruch Shem, or do we do it like Moshe did it, which is without Baruch Shem? So we compromise. We say Shema Yisrael out loud, and we say Baruch, Hashem, Baruch Shem in a whisper. Except Yom Kippur, and that's a whole another discussion. So he says, Yaakov says to them, Is there perhaps a blemish, a lacking, a failure in one of you? And they said, They said, And he said, He said, for Yadua we know, that these two verses are the unification of Hashem. These two statements, Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem. And the Zohar goes on and on and on, and the Alshech just gives you those two words, Ikra Yichud, but the Zohar, the Arizal, all the holy books explain what exactly does this mean. Basically what they end up saying is that Shema Yisrael is the upper unification, which is the unification of Hashem, of Hashem being Echad, almost to the point where we stop believing that we ourselves could exist, because God is everywhere and everything. And then Baruch Shem is the grounding of that, and says that no, Hashem is the king, meaning that he's the glory, His glory of His kingship <laughs> is in this world, and it survives La'olam, so it has Malchuso, um, His sovereignty, and La'olam Vod, which is the concept of time. And so after we say Shema Yisrael, which is that we recognize that Hashem is beyond everything, beyond anything that we can comprehend, above all concepts and above all descriptions, we then say, nevertheless, Baruch Shem Kvod Malchuso, he's our king, and he will be our king forever. So, how these two work together is really complicated. We've discussed it in, in classes in the past. But Rebchal Pasuk Mehem, Sheish Tevos, each of these, incredibly, each of these psukim, Shema Yisrael and Baruch Shem, each one has six words. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad is six. Baruch Shem, Kvod Malchuso, Laolam Vaed is six. And the Esrim V'chamesh Osios, each one has 25 letters. Now Baruch Shem really has 24, but there's a whole discussion that there might be missing a letter from Baruch Shem. We'll leave that for now. So he says, So six of the stones... Are on, six of the names are on one stone. Shem Keneged Pasik Shema Yisrael. So the first stone represents Shema Yisrael. And on that stone was exactly 25 letters. Because in the names of the 12 sons of Yaakov, there are um, 50 letters. 
Now, it, if you go in order of birth, it's not going to work because the um, they gave more letters to the earlier children. Mm-hmm. Then, once you've got once you've got more than five children, you you start realizing that two syllable names take you too long until they uh, wake up in the morning. So it's just God and Don and uh, right. So <coughs> what? Yeah, you got to give short names. So so. Uh, and th- that's why their names were not in the order of the birth, but they were balanced in a way where they would uh, they would make twenty five and twenty five. So the first stone, it's amazing how well it fits with six names representing the um, the six tribes with 25 letters, just like Shema Yisrael, which was first stated by the sons of Yaakov. So, the, so he's carrying on him the unification, the people who said it with an allusion to this idea. All of that fits in so perfectly. The six left over on the second stone. Which has 25 with the kol. Again, that's a whole other discussion. Which also had 25 letters. Now, if you'll take account, you'll find that the way most of us write the names of the sons of Yaakov, there's actually only... Um, um, 49 letters in their name, um, which is interesting because Baruch Shem technically only has 24. But because they wanted to even it out, but they spelled Binyamin with a Yud between the Mem and the Nun to make it 25 and 25. Almost like we're forcing that 25th letter because we want to make it balanced, although Baruch Shem really only has 24 letters, and so really this should only be 24. So it actually fits better. Kanoda, as we know, Kiba Evan Ach is the first stone, Hayruven Shimon Levi Yehuda Dan Naftali, Uba Evan Ashen is Yisachar Zavulan Yosef Ben Yamin God Asher. And it's interesting that they actually, even though they're not in the order of birth, but they are in the order of birth, and by that I mean that they are, the six eldest are on the right stone, and the six youngest are on the left stone, even though on each stone, they're not necessarily in order of birth. So he says, This was done because when we're doing this, since the first stone represents Shema Yisrael and the second stone represents Baruch Shem, it would be unfair to any tribe to say, why should we be on the Baruch Shem, which is what's called the lower unification, Let's, we want to be on the higher unification. And the answer is, because the six oldest were on one stone, and the six youngest were on the next stone, and doing things in order from oldest to youngest doesn't cause jealousy. That's what the al says. And we know that Aaron represents the coming together of the Jewish people, of Kal Yisrael. So I want you to understand the imagery here. The, this is Aaron, who is the Ohev Shalom and Rodev Shalom. He's the man who brings peace. Moshe is the one who is the law. The law. As the Gemara says, he was Yikov Adin Sahar, let the law pierce the mountain. And the Gemara says that this is the debate between Moshe and Aaron. Mo- Aaron says, listen, if they want to do an Egal, we'll stall them, we'll control it, we'll compromise it. And Moshe is like, burn the, burn the group, right? Uh, just 
take them all and uh, and kill them all. Let's uh, take your swords. So this difference in approach between Moshe and Aaron, Aaron is the one who's going to represent us in the base of Mikdash. So while Moshe says Shema Yisrael and holds back on Baruch Shem, Aaron is going to have the Choshen Mishpat, which is the law in the front. And then and there he's going to have 12 stones and 12 tribes and everything will be in exact order and everything is balanced. But then on his shoulders, above that, he's got two Moshe stones, like the two Luchos, which Moshe brings down. And it's interesting that the second Dibros are specifically written in Parshas Ve'ashchana, which is where Shema is. But he has these two Moshe stones on his shoulders. And in it, instead of engraving the Torah... He says, no, we're going to engrave the names of Klal Yisrael. And they're going to represent this same Shema Yisrael because you have to understand that unification of Hashem is related to the unification of the Jewish people. And the love towards the Jewish people is the love towards Hashem. Ata Echad Echad, Hashem is one, and His name is one, but Amcha Yisrael, So Aaron represents that idea, and therefore on his shoulders, he's going to have the unification of the Jewish people, representing the two Luchos, above the, Mish, the Choshen, which has 12 separate tribes, um, all seated separately. This a beautiful understanding just of the two stones. And if you think about how much uh, incredible uh, um, symbolism there is just in these points, he didn't even get into all the details about the ephod and all that. It should teach us that uh, how much how much depth there was in all the elements of the of the Mishkan. But before we go on to the next piece, I just want to put in, you see from this that the the Aaron who represents the unification of Klal Yisrael, even though we don't have today the ephod, but we can still fulfill the spirit of this unification, which is to carry all of Klal Yisrael all together and understand that uh, we represent uh, the ultimate unification. All right, so let's turn earlier to page 713, or page Reish Pei Tes. So the younger will put deference to the older, they would be jealous. Right. That's an interesting point. Although Moshe, um, Aaron being the coin Gadol in this case, actually puts him as the older one. Mm. <coughs> Sir, uh, any connection relationship between the letters and the names of the six tribes and the six tribes and Shema and Baruch? Is there any? We, we would think so, although I've never seen anyone try to do that. Well, <coughs> based on what he's saying, that should be the case. Yeah, yeah rearranging Right, something. Okay, so on page Reish, pay test, literally the last line on the page. Amnam um, What he's discussing here is this interesting structure of the menorah standing opposite the shulchan. So he says, mm-hmm. Our rabbis, they use this beautiful language. And they say, Someone who wants to be wise should turn south. Someone who wants to be rich, should turn north. Uh, the simple understanding of this, this is in, actually quoted in Halacha, 
is Shimon Asrei, even though Eretz Yisrael is actually not directly east, if I think you end up in Moscow or something, yes, if, you, if you walk directly east. But nevertheless, we daven east because we're, we're, we're davening in the direction of Eretz Yisrael. If someone wants to daven towards the east, but is trying to connect to the channel of wisdom, he should actually turn a little bit south. If someone wants to draw on the channels of wealth in the world, he should turn a little bit north. And uh, this doesn't mean that you should run around shul and see where everyone's feet are pointing. Instead <laughs> 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 yeah, of turning them, oh, you're a good supporter of the shul, let's turn you that way, right? So, so what do our rabbis want? I heard, I heard what Rabbi Yehudah say, he said that very few people would have the chutzpah to openly be pointing towards the north, towards, towards Asherahs. I've seen it. I would, I've, I've, I've seen, seen it. it. The, I've seen it. What about the Persians? Isn't it all north? Well, shuls that, there are some shuls that for ma- many different reasons may face in different directions. So they have to... Uh, they have to deal halachically. Now, if let's say for a shul, uh, let's say a shul is facing north, so even if you want to be wise, you can't face south, right? If the shul is facing north, so um, yeah, that has to be dealt with in each case. So he says, here's what our rabbis really want. Hey, what they want us to do is to look at the actions of God. That what our sages are trying to teach us with the spirit of their understanding. That there are two forms. A shefa is a hard word to translate. I want to say spiritual influence. But it means there's a flow of influence coming down from heaven. Through which the world survives and attains its happiness. There is a spiritual flow that flows towards all the souls. And there's a spiritual flow that flows towards the bodies. When we talk about the soul, there's a spiritual flow which is makes you pleasantly wise. Bringing down the spirit from above, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of knowledge and fear of God. And then there's also money pouring down from heaven. If we can tap into that uh, the rainbow and stick our pot in, we can catch some of it. Mm-hmm. The physical is food. To bring down food and sustenance. There's a spiritual flow that comes down from Shemayim, which provides power and wealth and sustenance, and food, and financial success. Now Hashem wanted us to build a Mishkan. And Hashem wanted to, that He should have a place to dwell in this world. They should make a sanctuary. So He says, Before the Mishkan was made, Hashem was up in Shemayim, so to speak, and the Shefa, the spiritual influence, was coming from there. So everything was upward. 
from Hashem's throne above to the world below. With the two kinds of influence, meaning before the Mishkan is built, the direction that we would face for our pranasa and for our sustenance was upward. One above the other. So there was a great channel which was the channel of the spiritual. So he says, one was the bodies, and his own, through which the body was fed, and all good was brought down, through Hashem's watchfulness, and his influence. Which was a channel that flowed down to the souls. To give them wisdom and understanding, and because he was probably before Pesach too, he uses a clever pun. And he sent the gifts of Koach Yuni Viruchani to sustain the world through the soul through which you live. We know. These two influences, these two flows, everything goes back to a place, to a spot. A source above. To bring down into the world. When Hashem wanted what he wanted. And we don't know why Hashem wanted it, but he did. To make a dwelling place in the world below. By a tent and a tabernacle. You know what Hashem did? He changed the system for how he dispenses these spiritual things. While previously, these two channels emanated from above. From its place flowed this influence. Now, those two channels, I didn't say, I'm going to use a terrible word, but I think I use it anyway, the two faucets for these facets of influence <laughs> uh, were now in the Mishkan. <laughs> Hashem made it as if his home is there, but our own in the ark. And then, so what Hashem did, I'm trying to think of a good example of this, but you know, it's almost like if there was, let's say, a king, a king who had nothing to do with the people. He was far away in his palace, and he never saw any commoners, never dealt with the low people. He only dealt with the ministers who would bring him big issues, and then the people didn't like the king. And so they started to form a rebellion. He gathers all his ministers and says to his ministers, "Um, what's going on here? What's wrong? Why don't the people love me? So one of them said, uh, you know, maybe we need to kill them. You know, we should kill them all. The other one says, okay, that's part of why we're having this problem. Eventually, one of the ministers gets up and says, maybe they don't love the king because they don't know the king. So the king says, well, what do you suggest? So he says, well, how about the king, once a year, should have this palace, another palace built, one where the people can pass through, and a certain number of people, maybe petitioners or something, can come before the king once a year, and then they'll connect to you. And so it was, and it worked. 
And so that's kind of the kind of marshal the Ashach is trying to paint here, is that after the Jewish people simmered <coughs> the golden calf, or maybe for some other reason, Hashem felt that he was going to make his dwelling place, Batachtonim, in the world below. And so instead of just talking to his ministers and being far, far away, instead Hashem is in the Aaron, and all the food, all the mazon, all the practical... Um, uh, care that the people needed was all coming off that table. That shulchan is where we get our parnasa from. Is that for Klal Yisrael or for Klal... Uh, it sounds like it would be the whole world. <coughs> yes. One of the big questions that the Bible critics raise against the Torah is the fact that uh, early on we had matzevot that were supposed to be monuments and to make us remember um, an encounter with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And, and then later on, um, those are forbidden. And I'm just wondering whether uh, the Alshef's answer might be an answer to the Bible critics. I mean, the Ramban has a good answer to them about why the Matzevot were, right. were forbidden. But maybe... Uh, the, these, at least, I, I'm not an authority on this, but the archaeologists say that the, these matzevot were very, very tall. They caused people to look up. Hmm. Interesting. So I'm wondering if once Hashem said that there was going to be a bit of Mikdash, and especially after he said that um, it, it was going to be permanently situated in Yerushalayim, it no longer made sense to look up. That's a good shot. Um, I like that, Shep. Yeah. I'm sure the, uh, right, according to what the Alshech is saying, yeah. that we're kind of changing mm-hmm. the direction in which we look, so that mm-hmm. would make sense. <laughs> okay? So he says, so Hashem is in the Aram. Kaviachal, Hashem is not in the Aram, but Hashem is behaving with Kali, so as if he's in the Aram. And so all the food, all the sustenance, all the Parnasa is flowing out of the Aram through the Shulchan and then to the rest of the world. That's where all the physical good from comes from. But and the other channel, which was above the first one, Yichad Amenorah comes the Menorah. Asher Misham Ha'Oryo Tzela Olam. That's where all the light goes to the world. K'mosh Amrzal Pasik Ve'Ha'Aretz Ayira Mikvoda. The earth was illuminated from his honor, from his glory. Uba Pasik Chalonish Kufim. We know the windows were the wrong direction. Lawiski Misham Tispasha Da'Ora Chutza because the light was spreading outward. The windows were widening as they spread out, which is not the way you're supposed to make windows if you want light on the inside. Who are Ruchanias and Machayas? All and that's the spirituality that kept the world going. So in Baloscha it says that Aaron, through his proper intentions, gave spiritual elevation to elevation to these lamps. Meaning to the seven uh, supernal lights. These seven lamps were illuminating. And through the menorah, wisdom would come to man. It's interesting how it's always balanced. You know, you're, you're good and you're bad. Those are the same shape that windows are in a castle, so the archers can point there. Negativity right. anywhere. Yes, the light goes positive also, and then that's, that's also interesting, right? The other yeah, way. It's a spread. That's a good point. 
That's why the menorah is compared to Torah. eternal life. The Torah is like the soul to the body. So now, going back to the beginning, that first thought he had. How beautiful are the words of our sages. Someone who wants to be wise, Yadvim should face south. Someone who wants to be rich, Yadvim should turn north. Because you actually directing yourself in the path of those channels. Ki menorah badarim, shulchan because the menorah is on the south and the shulchan is in the east and is in the north. Vuki en safiki metzias ha-Torah ba-Aroni, because the Torah is represented by the Aron, b'Kodesh Kadashim, b'Marav mishkan in the Holy of Holies in the west of the Mishkan. Ach shefa or achachma v'amad la-avinam v'shefa ha-mechalkel ha-adam ba-olam. But, the, of course, the wisdom, the actual luchos, the, those are in the Aron. But the flow of the wisdom and the flow of Parnassah, which comes from Hashem in the Aaron, there's two vessels, each one to one vessel, or wisdom or and the Parnassah at the Shulchan, because the menorah on the south, brings wisdom, and the table on the north, brings gold. Umamarain Babir Mishlay, Al Pasig, and this is a famous Pasig. Orech Yamin Biamina, long life on the right, Ubismola, Oshavakavit. Kia Torah Shaba Arma Marov, when the, the, the Torah which is in the Aran on the West, Kishanitsayar Panaha, Mulpne Kalaba Moed, when you picture all those who walk into um, the Ohel Moed. When you, when you walk in, the menorah is on the right. Now again, you have to think about this, because the, when you walk into the Oamoid, but we're talking about the, from the direction of the Aron. But Shulchan Shabbat on the Smola, this is a famous question that everyone asks. Right? You just told me that if you want to become wise, you face south, which means... Um, which means... Right, face, t- turning to the right. It's your life and long days. Which is the menorah, which is in the south. We're going we're to leave this here, but uh, with the, this Alshech over here. But an amazing pshat that he's saying that the process of the Mishkan was to take the channel, which was previously a pillar of going up and down, and now it was kind of turned into a sideways. Um, a pipeline to flow towards the direction, and when we stand during Shimon Esrei, and this is a vision everyone should have, we face the Shechina, which represents the Aaron, and now you want to make a choice, do I want to walk in <coughs> on the right side, which would be towards the, um, well, towards the menorah, the way he's describing it, because the menorah was in the south, and or do you want to um, right or face the shulchan, which is um, which was on the left, which is in the in the north? So that action of turning towards the north is a way to excuse the term um, catch that channel. Mm-hmm. Like you need to adjust the bunny ears to to sort of catch and, and get a good reception. So by turning that way, you move the channel towards bringing down. 
um, Shefa influence of Parnasa, and when you turn that way, now that doesn't mean that if you turn this way, that all of a sudden your bank accounts will be cleaned out, and you'll be able to calculate pi to the 500th point instantly. It doesn't work that way. Obviously, you're still davening for Parnasa, and you're still davening for wisdom. But the question is, which path of flow do you want to be in? Be'ez HaShem, we should all be zocha. Um, yeah, we have a big yamtiv coming up on Purim, and uh, Purim is uh, is Adlo Yada until we don't know Arahaman or Baruch Mordechai. But really, what we're trying to do is achieve a greater level of understanding and wisdom. May we merit um, to um, have all our requests fulfilled. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. 